The Bible Study Podcast, episode 708. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of the book of 1 Corinthians with chapter 10. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. We continue on with chapter 10, Warnings from Israel's History. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness." Now these things occurred as examples to to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be adulterers as some of them were, for it is written, The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. So this is an interesting section here, but he's speaking a little bit in code if you're not familiar with the Old Testament story. Again, remember where that whole set of three paragraphs is going. It's going to, but you won't be tempted beyond your ability to endure it, that God will provide a way out. So he's talking about temptation and he's talking about sin. And as an example for this, he's mentioning the book of Exodus and the people who pass through the sea and who are under the cloud. And so he's talking about the children of Israel who come out of Egypt being led by Moses. And remember, they go to the promised land and they don't get in. And they don't get in because they're unfaithful, but they're unfaithful many times along the way, including that golden calf incident when Moses was up getting the Ten Commandments. So there's the idolatry that was mentioned. So when he talks about them being under the cloud, remember that they were being led by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. So when he talks about them being under a cloud, he's not talking about them being depressed. He's talking about them literally being under this cloud that was a sign of the presence of God leading them. And when they pass through the sea, he's, of course, talking about the Red Sea, how they pass through the sea because God split open the sea and let them walk through. And then when the Egyptians tried to do that trick, he drowned them. And so he's talking about that all of the people, all of our ancestors, he's talking about the Jewish people, all of them were following the cloud, all of them passed through the sea, but not all of them, remember, got to the promised land. So they were all saved from Egypt. But saved didn't mean that they got to the promised land. And so he's using this as a warning for these people saying, you have been saved through what Christ did. Now make it all the way to the destination. Make it to the kingdom of God in with Christ. Don't get distracted along the way as those people of Israel were. Don't be wanting to go back to where you were before like they did. 
And with you, it wouldn't be go back physically, but it would be go back to the things that you had before. Go back to the ways you lived before. And he says, then all of ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. And so same spiritual food, he's talking about manna that God provided and drank. He's talking about the spiritual rock that accompanied them. That rock is Christ. So he's making a, an allusion here to the time, for instance, when Moses was, uh, when Moses strikes the rock and water comes out of the rock and saying that God provided them food and God provided them drink when they needed it. Well, obviously, when he's talking to the people here who are Christians, he is using spiritual food and drink, and they're thinking about the Paschal Feast. They're thinking about communion, Eucharist, the the reenactment of the Last Supper, depending on how you want to say it, but they're thinking about that bread and wine. And so he's using that analogy of bread and wine now and manna and water before and saying that not everybody who drank that, not everybody who ate that manna made it to where they were trying to go. So he says God wasn't pleased with them and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So most of that first generation dies without getting into the promised land because they're unfaithful to God. So he says, that's an example for us. Don't be idolaters like they were. Don't be indulging in revelry and sexual immorality. All these things that happened in various times in Exodus to the detriment of those who were there. And he mentions the issue with the snakes when people were unfaithful. And so God sent snakes and they had to raise up the snake on a pole and all of this stuff that they know about. At least the people here who are familiar with the Old Testament would recognize these references and saying, don't test God like they did. Just because you're saved, continue on and get to where you're going. But the good news here, he says, is that you'll be tempted, but everybody's tempted, and that God is faithful, and that God will provide you a way out. This is a great verse to memorize in case you're ever in situations where you need it, this one that God will always provide a way out that will not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability to endure it. It's one of those promise verses that's useful to have at hand. Then he goes on, idol feasts and the Lord's Supper. Therefore, my dear friends, free from idolatry, speak to sensible people, judge for yourself what I say, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean that the food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And he's saying, okay, we're Christians now. We, we need to choose. You need to leave behind those pagan practices that you had before and those worship practices that would tie you to that. Remember the problem that people of Israel had where they come out of Egypt. They're led by God with these mighty signs, the 10 plagues that happened on the Egyptians, the getting through the Red Sea, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, all of these mighty signs that God is with us and we're following God. Moses goes off for 40 days and they start making another God. 
right? They make a God out of gold and they say, this is the God who got us out of Egypt. Well, it's not. You can't make God. And so he's saying, and Paul is using that sort of analogy and then saying, you also then can't, shouldn't have part in those other things. He says, there is power behind those idols that you used to worship. It's just not God. It's demonic. So you have to choose between one or the other. You have to basically leave behind that if you're going to be Christian. The believer's freedom. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising question of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, do not eat it both for your sake and the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thanksgiving, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all in the glo- do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but for the good of many, so that they may be served. So he's going back to that argument from two weeks ago here about the food sacrifice to idols. And that was what he was talking about in the paragraphs before, too, in terms of do not eat the drink of the Lord and then also eat food sacrifice to demons. He's saying, if you know that it's been sacrificed to idols, don't eat it. He said, if if you don't ask, that's okay. It's very odd, this don't ask, don't tell rule he's talking about here, but he's saying don't do anything against your conscience or against the conscience of the person who mentions it because it's not right to be associated. So it's it's just a slightly different version of what he told us about two chapters ago, where the, the stronger person, the person who believes that those demons are just rock and stone, shouldn't use that freedom as a way to entrap the weaker brother. It's a similar way that, to say that, but he says, I have the right to do everything, but not everything is beneficial. So he's talking about freedom, and again, he's getting back to that rights, that your rights don't mean you should do something. Just because you have the right to do it doesn't mean you should do it. And so we should think about what is beneficial, what is beneficial for me, but also what is beneficial for you, what is beneficial for the body, what is beneficial for those around us. And so that's one of the reasons he keeps coming back to this issue that for them was a very current issue, but for us has to be interpreted into the kind of issues that we'll run into. But the same principles apply, that When we're evaluating what we should do, again, not rights, but what is right, what is beneficial. And with that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com, or better yet, leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And thanks so much for listening. Hey there, it's Carly Marcoule, your host of Therapy and Theology, a weekly podcast that explores popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.